Hello everyone, welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And not only how to make money, but how to protect the environment. And that's such an important topic in travel. And we have a eco-expert, the Enviro Dad himself, on the show today. Uh, he's actually a dad blogger uh, from the Toronto area. And I'm a dad blogger from Vancouver, BC, Canada. So we are both dad bloggers from Canada. We have a big passion for fatherhood and family and parenting and the environment. And especially uh, uh, with uh, Eric's site, uh, it's all focused on how to be a good steward of the planet we all live in. Uh, so this is obviously a great topic. and I'm looking forward to learning for myself and for all of the listeners and viewers. Uh, to start off with, Eric, why don't we get to know you a little bit better if you want to share a little bit more about yourself. Well, thanks, uh, Ricky. Uh, it's great to be here, and I guess I could start with the cheesy way. But the cheesy way is saying, well, you know, I was born at an early age and and like long walks on the beach. But no, that's what my kids would always say. Oh, Dad, don't do that. But uh, but I've I've been in the uh, uh, media communications business for about twenty six years now. I uh, I got my degree in radio and TV arts, and and uh, eleven years ago I started a company called Modern Media Perspectives. Uh, I'm a storyteller. That's what I do for a living. Uh, communications and media. I mean, if you go into the dictionary and look up the word media, all media is is the plural medium, and all media is and ever has been or ever will be. It's just a, a method to deliver a message. And so uh, I spent the better part of a quarter century in various capacities. I started my career in radio, and I've done everything from radio, and I still do TV today, but I'm a storyteller. And about six years ago, yeah, six years ago, six and a half years ago, um, I took several other passions, advocacy for the environment, uh, parenting, and uh, it was actually another media person who sort of pointed out to me that there was a bit of a gap in the media landscape, especially the online landscape, for, for someone who was a father, which there weren't too many dad bloggers at the time, and an environmentalist, and, and a parent to sort of fill this little niche. And so in uh, March 2011, I, I started envirodad.com, and it's one of several outlets that I have. I, I do freelance writing. Uh, I've written for many large publications from uh, Canadian Parent, Canadian Family, The Toronto Star, and on and on, plus still some TV. I, I've done a TV series. It's, it's just all about being a storyteller, and it's something I love to do more than anything else. Well, you know, travel, there's a great quote, and it's one of my favorite quotes. It says, travel will leave you speechless. And then it will turn you into a storyteller. And it's an absolutely perfect quote for travel because there's been so many times on this journey and in many of our journeys in the past where we're really speechless. I can think of, for examples, here in South America, we're actually in Medellin, Colombia, when we're doing this interview. We went in Iguazu Falls, which is the biggest waterfalls in the world, even bigger mm -hmm. than uh, three times as big as the one in Niagara. And we, we went there, we had my, my um, what do you call it, iPhone, and I was taking a video. And all of a sudden, I actually like came to the waterfall and I was actually speechless. I couldn't say anything. And uh, if you watch the video on YouTube, you'll actually see me kind of like gasping for air and kind of like, right. not because of asthma or not because uh, of the air, but just because of the beauty of this uh, waterfalls. It was spectacular. And then now I've turned into a storyteller and I'm telling others, raving about how beautiful Iguazu Falls is in South America. Uh, so I would love to hear some of your travel stories. Uh, walk us through, uh, you know, some of your family travel adventures. Where have you gone? And if you want to leave us with an amazing story as well. Why well, I could I could uh, approach that from a couple of angles uh, in my line of work. Um, automotive journalism is something I, I sort of fallen into a niche to. I uh, am one of Canada's sort of uh, more or less dedicated eco auto journalists, and I'm I'm the co-founder of the Canadian Green Car Award. So part of being an automotive journalist does involve travel from uh, 
now and again. I also am a speaker as well. I do keynote speaking on climate change. I was trained by Al Gore, for example, and David Suzuki. Plus, I do my own. So I get to travel a little bit. And um, I, it's funny. I, I remember a moment. It was uh, I think back in 2011 or 2012. Um, I was actually in the Vancouver area, and I was doing a speaking tour. Um, I was speaking to a, a group of uh, high school students, three or four, in Abbotsford and Surrey and Burnaby and such. And, and I remember yeah. due to some scheduling issues, um, I actually had a, uh, uh, a moment where all of a sudden my schedule changed and I had you know, pretty much 12 hours all to myself. And when you're self-employed, you don't have that. So I remember I went, okay, what am I going to do? I was going to have dinner with a friend uh, in, in Burnaby, so I thought, oh, I'm going to go out early. And I remember going up to Burnaby Mountain. And, you know, you know, there's the park up there. And I remember standing up there, and I had this, this moment where I was standing, looking at the greater Vancouver area, seeing planes come in that you could see them coming in in Richmond on the airport. And this weird feeling came over me because I had nothing to do. I had nowhere to go. I had nothing on my calendar. And as a self-employed person, I felt jittery. <laughs> it, was, it was this gorgeous landscape, and I'm not used to that. Um, but from, uh, and, and so in my work, I've had great chances to see, uh, you know, I was just in PEI back in May, uh, doing an event with Honda for the Honda Odyssey. First time being in Charlottetown. It's gorgeous. And you get opportunities like that. As a family though, I think one of my challenges, uh, and this is something I'm trying to get the message more out, uh, more and more is, um, not only on the eco side, but we're a larger family. We're, uh, I have four children, so we're a family of six and, um, there are tremendous challenges when it comes to traveling with uh, a larger family. Um, it's, it's almost, in fact, it is so far to this point impossible for me to put all of them on an airplane, just the prohibitive nature of the cost of that. Um, we've always talked about wanting to do an all-inclusive uh, travel opportunity, some Caribbean resort. Well, you know, you look at all of their vacation packages and rooms are maximum four or five. So, it's scalability and, and um, it's hard because, you know, I sit on an airplane, you know, eight, ten times a year. And every single time I get to the end of the runway, I, I, I think about how of my four children, only my eldest, who's 15 on Wednesday, um, has ever been on an airplane. But he was on a Cessna for his fourth birthday. And, and I, I sometimes think it's unfair, but that's one of the challenges that we face. So I often try to find maybe a more... Uh, localized vacation ideas we work with our media outlets and and find that but it definitely is a challenge that uh, i think somewhere along the line we'll figure out and i'll, and I'll get that dream vacation for them but uh, it's definitely something i think about all the time yeah i know it is definitely challenging when you have a big family ours is a kids uh, we have a five-year-old a three-year-old and a one-year-old luckily a one-year-old is still for free on the planes uh, but the two -year -old, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, we want to travel as much as possible before he hits the two-year mark um, uh, but yeah uh, you know uh, you just have to find, figure out a way uh, you know uh, there's actually a great uh, dad who actually writes about points and miles and uh, his website is called points with the crew and he travels uh, with a uh, six kids on plane trips and uh, he basically uses points and miles to travel around the world so that's a great yeah. uh, a, a good outlet and uh, I know a lot of our viewers uh, they travel with multiple kids uh, but uh, yeah I can uh, definitely understand that uh, finances with airplane uh, travel are super expensive and like you said uh, sometimes they'll have family uh, ticket prices right and it'll be like uh, two adults two kids <laughs> and I wonder about the third kid what about the fourth kid what about the fifth kid you know I, I remember more than four yeah, I remember, I think it was, uh, I believe it was Thomas Cook who a couple of years ago launched this website. It was all about 
family holidays and family vacations. And I'm thinking, great, here's this ultimate site that finally gets it. And then I scoured that site everywhere and every single package was, you know, up to, you know, up to five or so. You think about like um, a contest, hey, a family vacation, it's always family of four. So I'm thinking, I don't want to even enter that because if I won, who would I leave at home? <laughs> <You know? laughs> who didn't do their chores that week? <laughs> yeah. So uh, what, I, what I'm interested in, Eric, is uh, what got you so passionate about the environment? Was there a, a turning point in your life? Was there a movie you saw, a book you read, a person you talked to, a tree that you saw fall down? Walk us through. How, got you, how did you get so passionate about the environment? Well, it, uh, I guess it, it, it really starts from a very early age. And you know the old saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, I grew up in an area of Toronto, um, in an older section. It's actually known as the as the Junction Triangle, and it's a it's a it's a you know a, an older section, uh, heavily density, uh, a lot of uh, hundred year old semi detached homes, a lot of population. But in this sort of geographically area uh, defined area, um, when I grew up, we were also abutting onto um, factories. There was uh, Glidden Paints, Nacan Chemicals, and they were side by side. With, with you know uh, schools and, and homes and families and uh, my mom back in the late 70s and 80s uh, 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 became sort of a citizen advocate with another gentleman who actually is an associate of mine to this very day and they formed a, an environmental sort of watchdog group and, and um, through a lot of uh, grassroots efforts uh, over time the media caught on uh, governments caught on and over period of several years to a decade, pretty much all of those, those uh, industrial uh, dangerous or polluters left the area and it was a, a source. So that was always in me, I guess, that advocacy, to, the right to stand up. My mom taught me that. Uh, but it maybe lay dormant to a certain degree and, um, and, and it may sound cliche, but there was a night in 2006, 2007, uh, my wife and I just wanted to, uh, to watch a movie. So we I said, you know, I've heard about this this Al Gore film, An Inconvenient Truth, and we brought it home on a Saturday, and just giving it a fair shake, I watched it, and I remember that night having a hard time going to sleep because I was so pissed off at what I saw. Um, it really angered me, and around that time, um, Mr. Gore had received a lot of um, attention from it and the talk that he'd been giving for years, which was highlighted in that film, he realized there needed to be a bigger audience and, and more people, but he could only do so much. So he began training others. He had this idea to form a group to train um, others and he trained Americans at first and eventually it sort of spread afar. In 2008, uh, he was convinced to come to Canada and to, uh, and to train Canadians for the first time in, in, in Montreal. And, um, Interest was set out across the country. If you want to come, uh, you know, let us know you'd be interested in joining us. And, and uh, I definitely was. Uh, I applied. I, I, uh, I pulled every string I could. I, I, uh, I asked for referrals. And, and I was selected to be one of the first 200 Canadians to be trained by Mr. Gore. David Suzuki was there. And from that, it kind of launched um, the opportunity for me to, to speak um, as a volunteer for him to, to schools but it sort of tied in with a lot of my other media work. I was self-employed at the time, and uh, I developed more of my own unique presentations on the environment. It's evolved. I mean, to this day, I've probably spoken to 35 or 40,000 uh, students. I've spoken, I've done TED Talks. I've done uh, business conferences. I'm a part-time professor. 
uh, at a college in Toronto teaching business students about sustainability. Um, and it's all evolved. And I think the idea of being an environmentalist um, in terms of, of branding has got to change too. Um, if there's one thing I like talking about more than anything right now is, you know, I, I often teach and speak and write about what I call the fourth R of environmentalism. We talk about re reduce, reuse, recycle. You know those things. We're, we're raised to know these things. But in terms of sustainability and actually making a legitimate fundamental change that's, that's viable and, and permanent, we have to rethink what the idea of sustainability is. Uh, too often we've been, we've been told or we've got this preconceived notion that um, a sustainable environmental uh, path or future is an alternative one, you know, and we're, we're psychologically predisposed to think, oh, it's alternative. Well, I don't want to be alternative. I want to be mainstream. You know, if you really look at what we're trying to do, we're trying to, to, to build a healthy economy with a vibrant and, and viable environment. Uh, we're trying to, to create a, a, a cohesion together, and that's not alternative. There's normal things. I teach business audiences that environmentalism is also, also profitability and efficiency and job creation and innovation. Um, for families, it just makes sense. Um, it's not about radically changing. I, I call myself an environmentalist, but I don't own a pair of Birkenstocks. You know, I, I, uh, I, I like yogurt but and granola, but granola gets stuck in my teeth, so I don't eat it very often. You know, it's, so, um, you know, everything has evolved to, to where I think, you know, I developed the passion. But today I'm really trying to show people, don't fear it. Don't look at it as alternative. Um, if you see the change and realize it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy. And as fathers, as parents, we need to know it's pretty darn important. Hey there. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. As parents, uh, you know, obviously that is the focus. What do you feel we can teach our children? Uh, because at the end of the day, we, our children are the future stewards of this environment, and they learn from us. So, how can we pass it along to our kids? Well, yeah, it's very simple. Yeah, you, you, as as parents, we know that um, kids are always they're always watching us. They're always learning from us. They're always listening to us. Um, it's, it's never an effective parenting strategy to tell them one thing and do another. Um, so to some degree, it's about walking the walk and talking the talk, but it's really about, you know, one of the difficult things about making, uh, changes towards a sustainable future is not different from many of the other things that involve the idea of change. I mean, if someone said, Hey, you've got to lose weight or, Hey, you've got to, uh, work harder at your job. You've got to focus more. You've got to uh, argue less with your spouse or whatever. Any kind of change, um, let alone you know moving towards a more sustainable future, it first involves the idea of you know having that epiphany or understanding that you really have to change. And once you've got to that point, saying, "Look, I know I have to change," well, the next thing that comes is finding within yourself a viable and sustainable motivator by which to carry that change. And this is where it's going to be different for, for individuals. Um, some people are going to be motivated, you know, by altruism. Some are going to be motivated by, by opportunity. Some are going to be legacy. Some might want to have their name attached in some building named in their honor. Some might want a statue. Some might want to become richer 
than than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett combined. Um, whatever it is, I always say, so long as it's legal and ethical, then go for it. Now, as a dad, for me, um, I look at my four children. Um, it's part of my nightly routine to, to look at them before I go to bed. And, and, and I remember very strongly every day a Native American proverb that we haven't inherited this planet from our ancestors. We're really only just borrowing it from our children. We're, we're, we're borrowers and not beneficiaries. And, and you know, every day, I'll, I'll, you know, no one's going to be perfect every day. And even as an environmentalist, you're going to screw up. You're going you're gonna to buy that styrofoam packaging. You're gonna, it's inevitable. You can't help it. But at the end of the day, I say to myself sometimes, like, you know, who the, who the bleeping heck are we to treat this place as our own selfish, gratuitous dumping ground? You know, our, our kids are really who are going to carry this on. And I at least want to give it to them as good as I found it, if not better. Yeah, you know, I love that quote as well. Uh, we are borrowers from our children, not beneficiaries. I love that quote, uh, the native proverb. And, uh, you know, yeah. another quote I love uh, to do with travel is leave nothing by footprints and take nothing but pictures. And, yeah. uh, you know, in our travel. We need to be stewards as well. And uh, it's actually super sad when I, uh, we were actually in Trinidad and Tobago two weeks ago. And when we were there, we went to the beach and it's actually spectacular. It's called Maracas Bay, one of the most beautiful beaches I've seen actually in my life. And it's littered uh, with, uh, you know, um, uh, plastic bags and pop bottles and uh, beer cans and cigarette butts. And it actually all goes in the water that the turtles choke on it and die and the fish eat mm -hmm. it. And it's just so sad. Uh, so I gave my kids a task and the, ca the task was actually to collect as many uh, bottle caps as possible in 10 minutes. So actually they went on a scavenger hunt and they came back with handfuls of bottle caps and that was our little part. I mean, it's not a huge, uh, you know, uh, world changing thing, but it, it was our, our part in doing a traveler's cleanup and changing this beach for the better. So, uh, you we know. Go, um, we, we, we go camping quite a bit. Uh, it's one of our favorite pastimes. And you're right, you'll go to some, um, you know, we try to find some of the more remote locations and, I mean, in Ontario, uh, there's some beautiful, you're getting into the Canadian Shield and there's such splendor. And, and occasionally, you know, you see that. You see someone who's been on a trail before you who just didn't think the same way. I mean, if, if you stand on a ledge or if you're in some location that is, you know, pristine and privileged to see, you know, I, I sometimes think, boy, what an honor it is for me to see this beautiful vista wherever I'm traveling. And it's kind of irresponsible for me to do something that would not give whoever follows me the same chance to see it the same way. Um, and it, it's, 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 it's not about, you know, being a radical environmentalist. It's just common sense. Like, you know, like you don't, you don't go to a hotel and on the night you check out, maybe some rock stars do, but you don't normally trash the place and say, ah, screw off, right? It's kind of the same idea if you're traveling, whether you're camping or you're getting to see somewhere in the world you haven't seen before. Um, you know, I, I'm lucky with work. I get to see some pretty cool spots. You know, I've, I've, I've been to, you know, some remote places uh, in, in your province and I've, I've, I've been to the east and I, I get to see some places off the tourist map and, and I just think, man, this is so awesome to see this stuff. It just behooves me and anyone else to make sure we all get that chance. So don't be, don't be an asshole. Don't be a selfish jerk. 
you know, treat it with respect, you know, and preserve it for the next generation. Yeah, there's definitely a running theme here in the show. Uh, I'm interested in your blog. It's called EnviroDad. Um, yep. So on your blog, um, Erica, tell us about what are the major themes and topics about, obviously it is about the environment and about fatherhood, but walk us through some of the major categories that you're writing about. Well, it really has to not come off as being something preachy or, or anything that, hey, I know better than you. And I've, I've never, ever pretended to be that. My tagline on EnviroDad.com is, is uh, you know, I'm, I'm an environmentalist and I'm a father. I'm on a mission with a purpose. And it's really trying to be a bit of a resource for, for other families, for other individuals who, who are trying to basically make sustainable ideas a normal part of their every day. So, uh, I mean, reviews is a typical common piece of, of a lot of blog sites. And um, my automotive, uh, I kind of fell into being an automotive journalist. I'm not necessarily a gearhead per se. Um, but I've become known, and I do a lot of keynote talks on on green automotive. I mean, uh, 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 Peter Gorey, another auto journalist who's since retired, and myself founded the Canadian Green Car Award in, in uh, 2011-2012. It's got national attention, so we obviously are focusing on, I focus on family and, and automotive, but also product reviews, and we do travel reviews as well. Um, I do a lot of family-friendly resorts, um, uh, we've done ecotourism reviews, uh, we're always looking for new opportunities to sort of understand, you know, what, uh, a, a larger family would enjoy as well as, you know, maybe has a sustainable twinge to it. I uh, love doing those video re reviews. Um, you will get tips and, and ideas, uh, some neat information. I did a cool little piece on some rather unknown cool eco facts about Canada, you know, in case you want to know little tidbits, try to keep it entertaining, but it's. At the end of the day, if it's a resource that you like coming back to every so often, tie it into my YouTube channel as well because uh, there's both uh, areas there. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's something that, uh, you know, being self-employed, you don't get all the time. Sometimes, you, as all bloggers do, you have some periods of time where more time goes by between posts, but you're always trying to keep it uh, relevant and interesting and, and something that people want to come back to. So, uh, you, you know, you spoke about the automobile industry and uh, green cars and uh, eco, eco cars and hybrids and electric cars. Um, so you've reviewed a lot, uh, you know, literally dozens of cars. Um, tell us about your favorites. T tell us about your favorites. So what are some of your favorites in terms of the eco cars of today and in the future? You know, I, this is probably the question I get asked the most. And uh, what do you love? What do you love? Um, in some respects, I think maybe as an objective review where I've kind of become a little desensitized so i don't know if anything just jumps out oh i gotta have it i will say though that um with respect to uh battery electric vehicles with plug-in hybrids um there's been a lot of uh misinformation out there there's been a lot of negative connotation towards vehicles like that oh it'll never meet my needs it will oh it's too expensive or i'll i'll, I'll run out of charge somewhere in the middle of the wilderness or stuff like that you, know, you hear all this, all this stuff out there, and and by and large, what I'm getting to drive nowadays, those arguments are so negated. Um, anyone who's looking at making a better choice and says, "Oh, I, I might, I might want to look at, at a, an electrified vehicle," um, you know, one of my favorites. I guess if you're talking about a family, I'm a large family person. Um, the the new Chrysler Pacifica has an e-hybrid. It's the first ever hybrid plug-in hybrid minivan um 
on its own, on a battery electric charge only, you'll go probably about 50 kilometers, almost 30 miles or so without plugging in. And then after that, it becomes a regular hybrid vehicle. Um, and that same vehicle, you don't really lose any space. Um, the batteries where the second row still and go used to be. But aside from that, it functions in every way like a minivan. And it's such a great vehicle. My kids love that car. You can do all you need in it. And it, knowing that you still have a regular hybrid powertrain, you're reducing your, your fuel consumption, which means you're saving thousands of dollars a year, yet you have a fully functional vehicle. Um, this week, for example, I just picked up uh, every week. That's one of the joys of my job. Every week I get to drive a different car. Um, and, uh, and this week I, uh, I have the all-new uh, Volkswagen e-Golf. So it's the Volkswagen Golf, but it's all electrified. And, and I'm, you know, I've been in it for maybe eight hours so far. But I look all around, and everything that you see in a Golf is in there except an engine. And it, it's going to get me 230, 240 kilometers without running out of juice, but that would never be an issue because you plan for it. Most commuters never have to worry about that. Some people say an electric vehicle, oh, it's not for me because once a year I get invited to my buddies to go to the cottage. And I'm thinking, okay, so, but 51 weeks out of the year it does work. Can you rent a car instead that one weekend? Um, so what I, what I like saying more is maybe not so much what my favorite vehicle is, but I really love how most of those early arguments about why not to get into something like this they no longer stand it. You can you can get a Chevrolet Bolt now and go almost 400 kilometers and and not have to worry about the luxury prices that say some Teslas are. They're fantastic vehicles. And uh, you know, I did uh, several different uh, car reviews as well when I was in Vancouver, uh, doing a few hybrids, a few electrics, and I always had the charge anxiety. I'd be driving my electric, I'd be like, oh no, what if it goes out and there's no backup hybrid, there's no backup gas, so yeah, I, I can definitely relate to the char charge anxiety. But that's, but that's, again, that's our own fears playing out on us. That's somebody in the industry or some someone who's not maybe a promoter of it per se, uh, making some argument and and you always the fear mongers will play to that remote what if situation you know what if this and this and this and this happens and through the chain event suddenly you're you're you know you're out of juice and you know you could be out of gas going on a long highway drive just as you could be out of charge but most of the time these vehicles i mean look instead of having to go to a gas station to remember to fill up you know most of these vehicles are designed when you come home at night you have a charger you know, you plug it in, and every morning you're looking at a full charge. So, you know, infrastructure is catching up too. Governments across North America are, are plugging in and installing more charger networks at, at rest stops and things like that. But really, most of these vehicles, if it's for your home personal use, so long as you have a charger at home, it's really, you might have 1% to 2% of the time where you're really stretching the viability of that vehicle. So Erica, you know, uh, the other area that we usually cover on the show is the whole area of monetization. So you have a successful travel blog, uh, sorry, a, a parenting blog, an eco blog. Tell us about uh, how you monetize that blog. Well, there's two ways. Um, what, I, uh, what I did is um, Enviro that itself, if you look on the site, you will not see any advertising on there. You won't see ads because one of the concerns I had early on is that if I run off and I join a syndicate and I give up pixels, for example, I mean, I want to make sure that, that advertisers on that page are 
giving the message that's consistent with what I believe in. And I couldn't always guarantee that. So I decided that on that page, I'm just going to go ad free. I'll do sponsored posts, which I have control over. Um, I've monetized my YouTube channel as a YouTube partner. That's one of those things. And by the way, for anyone watching, if you love YouTube videos and you love, if you subscribe to your channel, Ricky, for example, and, a, and an ad pops up, if you want to support that YouTuber, watch the ad in its entirety. Go have a coffee if you don't watch it. Go to the washroom, whatever. Just let it play till the end because that's how we get paid. Um, so that's what I, so obviously I make money through YouTube. Um, but from EnviroData, aside from sponsored posts, I think the branding, my branding, which I work on as giving a consistent message, certain set of values, it, it allows me to branch out, get into keynote speaking, for example. You know, I, I do a lot of keynote talks, uh, speaking at groups and, and, and conferences. And when people know, well, that's EnviroData speaking, he stands for certain things. You know, I think in the end, when you do it right and over time, I can probably make more in a in a forty five minute keynote than I would you know running months of, of little pixelated you know ads in a syndicate where you get a portion of yeah definitely uh, you know uh, public speaking paid professional speaking can actually pay uh, be actually more lucrative than an entire year salary uh, but just just by a few different speaking gigs so it's a uh, you know something I'm trying to get into too more paid speaking gigs um, it's a long and difficult road to get to that point because there's a lot of people who want to do that. And you, you strive to have a unique and, and, and viable and vibrant entertaining message. Uh, but if you stick with it, if you, if you concern yourself more with who you stand for, what you're about, then, then trying to have every opportunity, every sponsor post, and really diluting the strength of your brand, then eventually it pays off. So, you know, there might be someone who is listening to this podcast on iTunes, uh, you know, on their car ride home or they're watching this and they want to protect the environment. You know, they want to help out with global warming or climate change. But I think what the problem is, is it's so overwhelming and it feels like we have so little control of something like climate change or global warming. Right. So what can the individual do? What can we do as individuals to make a difference with the environment? I think one of the very first things is it really starts with how you think about the situation. If you really see it as, as politicized, if you see it as alternative, if you see it as too cumbersome, then you're really you know, behind, uh, you're, you're at a disadvantage from the get-go. But if you start with yourself and your family seeing that, look, we have the ultimate leverage. We as citizens have the power to start making individual choices. Think about little ways yeah, there's always changing light bulbs. There's there's understanding more efficiency ways. There's the things in the home, the shower versus baths. There's no shortage of information out there. But rather than fear it all and see it as too cumbersome, you know, look at it as how could we incorporate this into the mainstream and see the different incentives out there. You know, being an environmentalist can save you a heck of a lot of money. It can make you a heck of a lot of money. It can create opportunities. It can show you new ways of doing things that you never thought of before. Um, be more open to it, and then bit by bit, uh, see how you can make those subtle changes. Don't just like a smoker; most can't quit cold turkey. They do it incrementally. Um, a good analogy, for example, is not many people know that uh, curbside recycling, the blue box, which we all know, um, the blue box was actually invented by a Canadian, a Torontonian. Uh, many people don't know this story, but uh, his name was Jack McGinnis. And in, um, he was from the Toronto area. 
But in 1981, uh, he convinced the, t the city of Kitchener, Ontario, and him and his group of uh, people that worked together uh, to develop a 1,500-home pilot project about this idea of curbside recycling. And it was a strange concept. Think about the cities you lived in when recycling was first introduced. It was this weird concept. It required us to adjust the way we think about diverting and, and things like that. But eventually, as we accept it as normal, we became to to see it as as something that's a part of our lives. And today in 2017, you know, you see a plastic or a tin can, a pop can, and you're if you don't have a place to put it properly, it you're riddled with guilt. And I mean, Jack knew that in, in back then because every blue box has on it the words we recycle. Because he understood that back then this idea of well, I recycle is too standoffish, but we recycle is a is a more common collective element. And you know, they understood that today. And that's a Canadian innovation. You know, that's something we can think about too. I'm here. Sorry, but, uh, you know, yeah, you covered a lot to do with the environment. Uh, there might be some people who are, who are skeptical as well. You mentioned the mindset. Uh, you know, first it starts here, and then it starts with a heart, and then it goes to hands, right? The head, the heart, the hands. But, what about skeptics? Uh, some people who don't believe that eco, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they don't believe that climate change is happening or they're skeptical of global warming. What would you tell the skeptics, the naysayers? Um, if, if, you're, if you're refusing to believe it, because you don't want to believe it, because it's an inconvenient truth, there's plenty of, of observational evidence out there. Um, this is not some, some uh, massive conspiracy. Um, and I, I often hear this, this doubt, and if you want to get sort of ideologically political, for example, I know one of the, the tendencies you might see is, is that you often see people who are politically aligned right of center, the, the conservative mindset, they, they tend to be the ones that, you know, for whatever reason, seem to be the most skeptical or, or have objections to it. And I don't want to get too in this deep political thought here, but one of the, if you think about what a, a conservative, a right winger typically represents, it's usually someone who is more individualistic in their belief system, whereas, you know, someone left is more about the collective. And, and I think one of the things that a free market capitalist uh, doesn't really uh, want to accept about the idea of climate change being man-made is that if you are a free market capitalist and by that same thing you you accept the fact that climate change is real and man-made you almost by default accept that the free market system has failed and and to solve that well the answer is to get in you know central oversight or governments and that's something that ideologically they're they're opposed to so if i talk to someone who's more a, a libertarian or or a conservative and who hates the idea of big government taking over, I say, okay, well, you're a capitalist, you're an entrepreneur, there's solutions waiting to be had out there. Do you know that in only 45 minutes, the sun sends enough energy that if we capture that energy and held on to it and used it as necessary, in that 45 minutes, we'd have enough energy kept to meet the demands of our entire planet for a full year. The reason why we don't do that and why we don't do that, well, our, our, our storage technology is still not quite there yet. It's evolving. It's getting better. But if you want to be a part of that solution, young engineering student or, or investment entrepreneur, be a part of that. You know, figure out, invest in that. Become stinking filthy rich. Do it legally and ethically 
seize the day, you know, carpe diem, and help us solve the problem. So, you know, if 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 you want to solve it yourself, then government doesn't have to get involved. I mean, you just have to play to the way people think. And the reality is it's real. It's irrefutable. It's you can see it, you can the, the data is there. I many of us have moved past that. 190 nations of the world have moved past that argument. So now it's what do you have to find within yourself that will motivate you to accept this reality and move towards the future we all want? Um, you brought up an interesting point too. Uh, you know, uh, you, you brought up the political point here about the, you know, for example, the Kyoto Protocol or the Paris right. Protocol. Um, you know, some countries refuse to, um, you know, uh, change themselves. So uh, tell us why. Is it a money thing? Is it a mindset thing? Uh, tell us why some countries still don't believe. Yes. <laughs> yes to all the above. Yes, I mean, in some above. cases, I mean, we'll say, for example, one of the countries that um, uh, we'll, we'll forgo uh, the United States right now because that's the administration, whereas there's a large, you know, it's not necessarily real estate. If, if a lot of people say point to China as an example, um, and they'll say, you know, China is the largest emitter of carbon because you have this, they're building coal plants all the time. Now, put it in context. I mean, China um, is is the world's largest, most populous nation. They, they're evolving as a global economic power. They don't, we don't have the technological know-how to, to feed the energy to create that economic machine. So they go to the cheapest, most reliable source, coal, to build that, that sort of economic power. But at the same time, what people didn't realize is, is that China was the world's largest investor in renewable energy technologies in terms of solar and wind and, and hydro and biomass. And in the last couple of years, now that China feels their technological know-how is getting to a point where they feel they can make that shift. Now you see them going from a denier and a sort of a, uh, a, someone who's holding back the, the global movement to someone who wants to lead it. So, you know, you look at them, they understand it. Um, th there's so many other sort of similar analogies where people are ready now to make that pronouncement because maybe they want to be the leaders of the new sustainable world. I mean, the cost that uh, solar energy is always going to be and, and, and uh, wind are going to be the energies of the future for economic reasons because what we're seeing as more money gets invested solar and 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 wind and all renewables at the end of the day are technologies and as technologies get better they get cheaper and we're already seeing now where, where solar and wind and renewables they are cheaper than than coal or oil in almost everywhere on the world so now investment people say okay if i want to put my money here into oil and maybe get a small return or here into renewables and see a much greater profit, well, where do you think I'm going? In a lot of ways, we've passed that tipping point. Um, I'm fully convinced that before my time on this earth is done, and maybe well before, um, oil will and, and fossil and carbon will no longer be the dominant form of energy that we use. It may still be around, but it won't be the dominant. And, and I think that's happening a lot faster than we realize. I think so too. I think so too. Uh, not just in uh, you know Western countries, but uh, globally, I definitely see that shift to where solar, wind power, more uh, personal responsibility for the environment. So keep championing the cause. Uh, you know, keep being the the, the Enviro Dad, and uh, you know, I wish you the if best. I can, in your if I can just if I can have one last little point, Ricky, because you're talking yeah. about travel too. If you travel to remote areas, like in areas of South America or in Western Africa, one of the great things about renewable energy 
is it gets to basically leapfrog over weak infrastructure. I mean, we're seeing a lot more cases where small villages in Western Africa or, or in small impoverished areas have the ability to put solar panels on straw huts. And with battery, all of a sudden, they have their own microgrid and they can do things that their old infrastructure of the country couldn't do before. So as you travel into remote areas, notice how that's happening today. Yeah, some great examples there. Um, so if people wanted to pick your brain a little bit more than we could do it during this episode, I almost wish I had like five hours. I wish this could be in a five-hour podcast because it was so good to hear your thoughts and uh, to really Thanks. get inspired to do something myself, not only for myself, but for the sake of my kids uh, and uh, you know their kids and the generations to come. So if people wanted to connect with you, Erica, through your website, social media, and uh, you know YouTube channel, et cetera, how can they do that? Well, on envirodad.com, there, there is a contact Envirodad uh, button on the, uh, the homepage. So you can certainly reach out and contact me via email. Um, I, I'm certainly out there on all social media platforms. Envirodad does have a Facebook page. On Twitter, I am uh, at enviro underscore uh, dad, as well as at MM Perspectives. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, uh, you find it. YouTube, look up Eric Novak as my, as my channel. Um, and all those areas have an ability to contact me. Um, you know, I, I try to respond as fast as I can to uh, inquiries, and, I, and I'm always willing to help out as best I can. So feel free. I'd love to hear from you. So, hey, thanks again. Uh, always great to talk to a fellow connect, a fellow dad, and a fellow eco-passionate environmentalist. Sounds good, eh? Oh, that's such a cliche. <laughs> thanks, good, thanks, Ricky. It was yeah. great to talk to you. You as well. And for those of you who don't know, A is kind of like our slang. So uh, fellow, fellow dad bloggers connecting here on the Google Hangout on YouTube and on iTunes. Uh, so thanks again. Uh, you know, this is part of a little mini series on Canadian dad bloggers. We had uh, Casey Palmer on the show uh, just uh, previously. And we're going to have a few more Canadian dad bloggers. So stay tuned for those ones. Uh, so That's thanks good. everyone for tuning in to this episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, where we teach you not only how to make money in a lot of our shows, but also how to protect the environment. And actually, the second is probably much, 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 much more important than the first. So happy travels, everyone, and make sure you do your part to save the planet.